0: Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas ish, Nevada. Uh, headlined by a top tier bantamweight bout, Rob Font taking on Jose Aldo, and uh, you know I think it's taken some hits over the past couple weeks. I've been you know haven't been keeping on top of all the changes until we got to fight week here because there's always so many of them. Yeah, I don't bother, but
2: I'm I'm going to look through now while you recap yeah. them.
1: But it, so we got you know we lost Tanner Bozer versus Sergey Pavlovich. Unfortunately, we uh lost Brendan Allen
2: of, was supposed to be fighting Brad Tavares.
1: Yeah, Brad Tavares, Brendan Allen, um and but we got Nightmare Field and we got uh some Yay. other fights out of there, but yeah, uh we lost Matt Brown was supposed to fight Brian Barberena. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Um so it's gone through some hits it's not the like best fight night card necessarily the best fight night card the ufc's put on all year as it started out being but it's still like right there in the running just for the main and co-main event
2: i mean I, i'm sure the uh, weekend off has something to do with this mhm uh god bless the weekend off i'm always come back actually wanting to watch fights it's wonderful yep, yep. um I'm weirdly into this card, and mm-hmm. that is even aside from the top two fights being absolutely awesome. Yeah, no, like, it's, it's the top two are fun. fantastic. They could be pay-per-view main card fights, uh, whatever. They're they are like great, great striking battles, and then everything else is like is like um, gut check fights.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> There's a lot of like. So how good are you really, or are you still good, like rubber meets the road kind of matchups all over this card?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, so, you scrape the bottom of this card is probably, um, you, you know, Patolo Todorovic is probably like the, which is the the featured prelim, is probably the least at stake fight on this card. Yeah. But it's still an all-action fight where at this point both guys are fighting just to be employed anymore
2: yeah and there's and there's also a little bit of like dusko todorovic was supposed to have some hype you know yeah got a win over michelle pareda he was like a regional champion he was undefeated came into the ufc so it, it is even there it's a low level version of what is sprinkled all over this card like no no contenders are being made in these fights but people are being sussed out
1: yeah by these yeah, benefits. and then, especially, you know, too, with him fighting Mackie Patolo. Patolo is one of those fighters who you watch any one minute, especially early, of like a Mackie Patolo mm-hmm. fight. Mm-hmm. Or you can watch a whole round of some of his fights. And you'll be like, man, this dude is good. Yeah. He, you know, you watched the first round of him against uh, Julian Marquez. Sure. And you're like... Dude can wrestle, dude can punch, dude can grapple.
2: He hits he, the body, you know, puts yeah. combinations together. This guy seems yeah. like he might be really
1: good. Yeah. I've been I've been fooled a few times now. <laughs> yeah. And the problem so so like watching him fight again, it's it's a bit like watching um oh man, uh damn it, who was to just lost Chris Curtis? Phil Haas. Phil Haas. It's a bit like watching Phil Haas where like you're always going to be – it's always going to be fun. It's always exciting. Sure. And the fact that he might just get totally detonated at some point in the fight is part of the thrill. There's a lot of fights like that
2: uh, on this card, which this Mm -hmm. is exactly what the listeners want, by the way. We've got Rob Font versus Jose Aldo in the main event. and We've spent (laughs) about two minutes talking about Machi Patola.
1: Yeah. All right. Should well, I talk about the main event? Yeah, let's just dive straight into the Font Aldo fight because we got a lot to cover here, wow. and that's going to take up a serious amount of it.
2: I wasn't. I'm gonna. I'm getting increasingly worried. Yeah. I. I wasn't. I, I. I was in fact. Pretty. I had a pretty confident read that this was not that bad a matchup for Jose Aldo. Mm-hmm. Um. Especially given his last fight. Which yeah. in my opinion was honestly one of the finest of his entire career yet. Mm-hmm. Uh that win over Pedro Munoz. The the problems for Jose Aldo, you know, there are some big ones. This is a f- main event. It's a five round fight. Yep. Um that's a concern, obviously. LaFont is a huge puncher. Yeah. With reach, with a jab. Yep. Uh he's you you could say that like uh at the right moment, he could pose all the threats of a Max Holloway or a Conor McGregor or a Mark Hominick who famously, uh, had some fantastic late rounds against Jose Aldo way back in the day in like 2011. Mm. Um, so, you know, and, and Aldo keeps getting dropped early in his fights, um, and hurt yeah. and having more, uh, uh scary close to the wire moments than he ever used to have during his championship reign, or even the, couple fights right after that.
1: Yeah. I saw somebody, I saw some discourse on Twitter of, you know, somebody being like, it, it showed up in my, you know, some people talking under my feed and they were like, Oh, well, you know, who are you picking font or Aldo? And so said, Oh, I'm picking Aldo until I see him actually fall up, like fall off. I'm not going to pick him to fall off. Yeah. We are clearly seeing Jose Aldo fall off.
2: It's just an incredible, beautiful, graceful falling off. Yeah, of the kind that only all-time great legendary fighters get to have.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean it's a, it, you know it, it's a bit like uh, Anderson Silva if you took those knockouts to Chris Weidman out of the equation. Yeah, where for a lot of years after that, Anderson still, Silva still went out and had fun fights.
2: I, and we've had this discussion before. Yeah. I think it's very very difficult to nail down what Anderson Silva's prime is. Yeah. And in the same way, while Aldo has suffered more brutal losses, um, he's also having a similar kind of like, is this actually the best he's been Yeah. sort of period? It's just that, you know, it's not it's not a 2006 middleweight yeah (laughs) it's featherweight and modern bantamweight you know the guy lost his championship and moved to an even arguably even more dangerous division
1: yeah we've all seen the incredibly stupid twitter post out there that somebody knocked together of like jose aldo 24 and 1 against non non non-champions four and six against champions is he really that great oh my god and it's just like you what I haven't seen that. Thank you for no. ruining yeah. my fucking day. Oh, excuse, me. <laughs> excuse me. It did upset me. So. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's just like literally everything is wrong with
2: this. Yeah. Um but- yeah, a lot of those non-champions were trying really hard
1: to become a champion.
2: Yeah, yeah. I when you have to play title your like
1: for ten years, <laughs> it's really hard for them to fight other champions. That, that yeah. a very difficult task.
2: Jose Aldo's a mediocre because he hasn't had enough title shots. That's, that is a wonderful play with statistics. <laughs> it really is. Um. So you know, I think, yeah, like we are seeing Jose Aldo fall off, but it is he's still amazing. Yeah. Uh, And in some ways better than ever. And again, that Pedro Munoz fight demonstrated all that he is able to do now with all of that experience, um, you know, positive and negative, that it was an incredibly poised, controlled fight. One where I think he managed his pace better better than he did throughout many fights of his championship reign. Mm -hmm. Um, One where I think he was both... Like defensive and controlling, but also proactive. He avoided every single moment where Pedro Munoz might have forced him into an exchange, which has been sort of the downward turning point in a lot of uh, all those fights against this new breed of pace fighters, and just like kept the fight in his hands the entire time through and didn't look tired. It was only a three rounder, mm-hmm. but he looked perfectly fresh because he controlled his opponent. Yeah and um i think i think he can do that to rob font i i think there's a spectrum that jose aldo falls into uh among past rob font fights mm-hmm. and i think it's between uh, well I, I mean really what you need to look at is uh, in my opinion is rob font's fight in uh, in 2018 with
1: hofilesoncel mm. yeah i
2: mean the question is how much better has Rob Font gotten since then, or have his matchups uh, just sort of shaken out differently? Uh, because the other side of that spectrum is that most recent fight, which is one of Rob Font's best yeah, uh, against Cody Garbrandt. And these are two uh, on the surface, similar approaches that these two opponents took. And I think at first glance you would think, oh, he wouldn't lose to that version of Rafael Asunso again. Look what he just did to Garbrandt. Um, but Rafael Sunsau, like Jose Aldo, is, I believe, and I don't want to rustle any feathers, significantly better than Cody Garbrandt uh, as a consummate technician, as a, I think very importantly here, as a ring general. Hmm. Um, now, I don't want to say that Mark Henry has a disease that he infects his fighters with. <laughs> I think he's a great coach, but. Cody Garbrandt, I think that was his second fight with Mark Henry,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and of all the Mark Henry fighters, he reminded me most strongly of Edson Barboza. What I mean is that when Rob Font pressured, Cody Garbrandt gave ground, and when Rob Font pressured harder, Cody Garbrandt ran away faster. And as the fight went on, really, really struggled to get his uh, his feet set to manage distance, Um, and that's not how Rafael Suncel approached Rob Font. No. He stood his ground. He beat Rob Font's jab and countered it. He used his stationary defense, his hands, his head movement, um, and small, subtle footwork to stay safe while being more or less in front of Rob Font, and Rob Font did not get on a roll at any point in that fight uh, like he did against Cody Garbrandt. Yeah. So I think that's really a big difference is how well are, how aware are you of your position in the cage? How well can you stand your ground while still being elusive? And that is precisely what Jose Aldo did for three rounds straight, very cleanly, uh, against Pedro Munoz. Yeah. So burst my bubble, Zane. What's what, what's, what's wrong with that take?
1: it I, I mean there's nothing that wrong with it it's well, thank you <laughs> it's a very good take it's a convincing take because that rob that that font that fight against a is one where font did just get entirely neutralized yeah and it is something that we have seen like it's something we've seen before from him against John Lineker. Yeah. Where, th- and that is really, that's my big question going into this fight with Jose Aldo. Is it To me, it's less about what Aldo can do or needs to do, but it's more about uh, whether or not Rob Font is prepared to give Jose Aldo the fight he needs to. Because... Aldo's going to show up and he's going to do Jose Aldo things. He's, as you say, going to stand his ground. He's going to counter off of his opponent's offense. He's going to work all, he's going to work the, the head and body and maybe the legs a little. He probably the, will. He has been lately. He has been more lately. And Rob Fon, I think
2: is susceptible to those. They worked every time Cody Garbrandt threw them. It's just the more he got stuck on his bike, uh, yeah. the, the less he was able to let him go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he's also going to get hurt early, Jose Aldo.
2: That seems very likely, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. And he's probably going to get tired late. Um, If this fight, assuming this fight goes to the fourth and fifth rounds. Yeah. And so I'm not, you know, with, with Jose Aldo, like I feel like there's a formula here that I'm pretty comfortable with. Mm-hmm. It's the question of the version of Rob Font that fought John Lineker And that fought Rafael Asanteau just got to a point where he could not pull the trigger and he did not trust himself to pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. And if that version of him is still lurking in there, then you're right. He's probably not going to
2: beat Jose Aldo. And I don't even, well, the thing is, is, I don't think anything has to be lurking in Rob Font. I think it is largely a functional um, element of his how his game works. Rob Font leads with his jab. Everything mm-hmm. Rob Font does comes off of his jab. Yeah, um, fair enough. And the more he's able to touch you with it, as we saw against Garbrandt, the, the more fluid and creative he looks. Like Rob Font yeah. in, early on can be a real almost predictable meat and potatoes fighter and can overload on his shots um, and come in kind of tense, good form almost always, you know, he's a, he's a well-schooled boxer, but the more he's able to just touch you up with that jab to feel his range and his timing, the smoother and more fluid and more creative his, his, his attacks get. Yeah. Um, John Lineker overwhelmed him. So the jab was a Mm non-issue. And Rafael Sonsal beat the jab.
1: Yeah. And I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you're right. If shutting down the jab can stop him from getting on a roll, then it's not so much a function of lurking. But what I mean in that is that if I, if you know at some point that Jose Aldo is probably going to get hit and hurt. Yeah. Um, just because the function of a fight like it's, it, you know. Even neutralizing Rob Font, he's still got range and power, and he's still going to land a few times. Um, and if you know at some point that Jose Aldo is probably going to get tired if Font can stay in this fight and make it interesting in any way— Mm-hmm then the question is at the at either point where he either has hurt Jose Aldo or he has Jose Aldo notably flagged in front of him will Rob Font be so cowed by yeah. the lack of success he's had so far yeah that he cannot find success in those moments cuz if he can turn it in those moments there's still a very good chance for him to win a fight that he was otherwise technically. Oh yeah.
2: Just make it a mess. If he does like his version of, of like what uh, that, that corner Jack Hermanson turned against Marvin Vittori. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know what? I'm bad at fighting Southpaws. I can't get my jab going. I'm going to sling hooks in the pocket. Uh, yeah. Like Rob font's a huge hitter. The other big advantage in his corner, um, Is that you know? I I think it's still fair to say Jose Aldo has a great chin. He's not getting finished in these fights. He recovers incredibly well. It's clearly diminished. Yeah. Rob Font's chin is like I've almost never seen it cracked. Yeah. He's a super durable fighter. He's certainly never been knocked out. So this just might be the one where even though I think he's only a year younger than Jose.
1: Yeah, I mean, although is he, he he all of his age is all cage miles. <laughs> absolutely,
2: yeah. But this is the kind of fight where like it's make or break for Rob Font. You're getting a title yep. shot off this. Just spend some durability and trade with Jose Aldo. That could mm-hmm. absolutely solve whatever problems he may have.
1: Yeah, or just you know push him, get 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 him into scrambles, make him try to outgrapple you because Font, you know, he's not the most amazing uh offensive grappler in the world but he's very hard to control well he's that a, is
2: another thing a did to him and i think that is another uh, area yeah. for that aldo will likely explore yeah uh, another phase of his game that he's been dipping into more often in these late uh, years of his career. Asunsao um knocked Rob Font down on a counter in round one mm. and then just immediately took him down and controlled yeah. him for like three minutes. And Cody Garbrandt hit a shitload of takedowns on Rob Font. He just isn't a he very couldn't... good top grappler. Yeah. But Aldo is. We saw it against Cheeto uh most recently. Um mm. So I, I don't know, man. I, I think there are a lot of options here for Aldo to neutralize Font. And the, the question is, as in my mind, as you just posed, is like, does Rob Font hurting him early just put him in a position he can't recover from? Yeah. And, and if Aldo does successfully do what I'm uh, predicting him to do, can Rob Font just say, screw it and make something happen anyway, which is more yeah. likely than it ever was earlier in Aldo's career?
1: because like Rob Font still beat Ricky Simone who took him down six times because he is generally hard to control once he's on the mat. You know, once, once you have him down, maybe, you know, in the the case of a Sun Sao, who is also a terrific top grappler. Yeah. um, He was able to, you know, jump and get large amounts of control time off of each of his two takedowns. But it's not, it it, it has not been as successful against Font as you would no. assume. Could also be exhausting because sometimes have to
2: scramble super hard to 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 maintain that top position.
1: Yeah. And so that's my fear with Aldo is that like if he's in a yeah. five round fight and he's gonna do some grappling in there, is that just going to get him more and more to the point that when rounds four and five come come around, font has something left in the tank and Aldo doesn't. Yeah. So that's my concern cuz i mean too you get that 176 strikes performance that fought, did put together against Garbrandt and that is exactly the kind of thing that if he can find a lever in this fight that will break that can break jose aldo like, yeah. that kind of output is absolutely what can do it but it's getting
2: on a roll for it is that that, that's what that fight really was was just more and more success the longer it went on
1: you know what i came in here picking rob font you made a very convincing argument to pick jose Aldo. i'm still picking rob font because i just think that if his chin is so unbreakable as it has been Mm -hmm. that if he has five rounds to work with he can he can do something at some point. Like Aldo is going to fall off at some point and Font will be there to pick up the pace on him. Maybe. I'd love to see Aldo
2: get another body shot knockout.
1: I would, I would love to see it. I do not <laughs> deny that it can happen. There's not, I'm not like out here saying, Oh my God, Rob Font, there's no way. Cause like I said, you put, you put out a pretty convincing argument and we have seen Rob Font just get shut down in fights. It is, mm-hmm absolutely something that has happened to him and
2: and and i think you know i i i didn't mean to to poo poo the idea before that it is partially mental i think it's but i think it's both i think if you you can get that technical edge and and stop the sort of uh the crux of rob font striking the jab then um he is going to lose confidence
1: yeah no because he doesn't, doesn't
2: know how to get into range there's also the fact that uh it's it's scary that uh, rob font is big uh, 5 foot eight, seventy one and a half 71 and a half inch reach but uh, this is important too Jose aldos pretty big
1: as well yeah, no, he's only in, seven seven inch reach. Yeah, it's Rob Font is not way bigger than Jose Aldo.
2: Yeah, and like somebody like a Sun Tso, uh uses his reach tremendously well. I think that is the other common element in Rob Font's most impressive performances against guys like Garbrandt um, or like another great technician like Sergio Pettis. That like Rob Font really likes to bully people,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I think that is another element of the confidence that either you know blossoms or diminishes over the course of the fight is is he just straight up bigger than you and i'm not sure it's going to feel like he's much bigger than aldo which is that's a it's a change for aldo to fight such a big bantamweight but it is likewise not necessarily a good thing for font to fight a bantamweight who isn't tiny yeah so
1: Uh, we'll see i'm 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 saying that this is the kind of that font can be the kind of fighter that will make all wilt, but I don't think he, I, the, the, the problem. And as you've laid out is that he doesn't have the technical depth to immediately be that kind of fighter. Like yes. there's a, he's fitting a base archetype mold without actually being the, mo- the exact model. Right. So I'm, I'm leaning on the idea that just the base archetype is going to be enough that he's super durable and that he can put together a landslide offensive performance
2: output-wise. Well, our our producer and I both think that you're a coward. I just want you yeah. to
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: hold that in your heart.
1: No, I yeah, I'm I'm familiar. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm familiar with these these claims of cowardice. But what you don't realize, uh-huh. what I think a lot of people miss, <laughs> is that, uh, you know, um, really, discretion is the better part of valor. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So, in truth, as long as, you know, just my my ability to choose when... To be brave and when not to be brave. That's right.
2: Purple up the pros, Zay, and that'll yeah. just intellectualize everything you say. That'll that'll separate you from your feelings. Yeah. Well, you know, as long as it shame, separates
1: that's... me from the lower classes, that's all I care about.
2: <laughs> you sound like Phil now. Uh, Ooh, rather. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Font is a very slight favorite here. Opened at minus 115, dropped down to minus 187, currently up at minus 147. Aldo opened at minus 105, jumped up to plus 155, and is down what plus 122 right now. Very narrow odds. I like it. Makes sense. It's a close fight. Like I say, I think Font lays out some very basic archetypes of things that work against Jose Aldo um but he's not the model he is not uh peter yawn he is not max holloway no he's not you know he's not somebody who once once he gets it, who who it is inevitable that they will build momentum you know No. right it isn't it is in fact there's
2: evidence to suggest that it's the other way around yeah that like there there are a couple notable fights where Rob Font has been completely prevented from building momentum. Yeah. So, but I but again I think this is like the this is could just be his younger fresher man moment where he just yep. spends a little chin a few chin points making it happen.
1: Yeah. I'm we'll I'm, I'm 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 banking on it. But if it doesn't happen, I will be very happy. I will ain't be. just I about spending
2: chin eater. You know, like it's. Yeah. It's a matter of mastery, and 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 Pedro Munoz is another guy who will happily spend durability if that's what it takes to win a fight, and he didn't really get going at all.
1: So no, I, although I, I would say that M- Munoz, in that to that point was, and I you know I felt going in he is a perfect matchup for Jose Aldo, in that he's never been a fighter who builds momentum. He just really kind of sets a tempo and then sticks to it, and. It absolutely let Aldo just be like, oh, well, th- I can I can find a comfortable rhythm here. That's fine, you know? You give Aldo, like, a solid beat, and he's just comfortable. He's, you know, he's... I hope these words
2: forever. make you comfortable. Was yeah. You watch Jose just using his teeth to strip the meat off of Rob Font's ribs after deading him with the greatest liver shot you've ever seen.
1: I would... I would absolutely be... <laughs> I want to say thrilled, but I would be really horrified because that would be absolutely (laughs) horrific. Yeah. (laughs) That's a, that is the image of a disturbed mind, sir. (laughs) It just turns Rob Fawn into a famous burger. Okay. Yeah. All right. On that note, let's jump down to a a lightweight battle. Brad Riddell, Raphael Fiziev, and I am so happy this fight
2: got made. (sighs) This is my matchmaking genius, Zane. I get to take over your job now. I vocally suggested this matchup. And as, uh, as uh, Phil pointed out to me, this is this is such a subtle matchup. It's not obvious at all. (laughs) No one else (laughs) would have thought of it.
1: I definitely did not write this every time either of them fought (laughs) for the last two (laughs) years in my fights to make column. This is obviously going to happen, right? Yeah. I mean, of course the thing is, is that they're like really close friends. So Are they?
2: Yeah, I know they trained together. I didn't know they were like really buddy-buddy.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I even just wrote a little article too about one of their recent interviews where Brad Riddell was like, I got his, I got, you know, the UFC sent me his name on a contract and the first thing I did was text him and be like, hey, dude, (laughs) do we really want to do this? Because this is apparently the only like good fight that either of us can get right now. The UFC says, you know, we have to wait another three or four months, but are you willing to fight me? and they both were you know decided they were for it but even like one of their i think it was one of their managers or somebody who has worked with both of them or one of them in the mm-hmm. past on twitter like like a month before this fight got made was like people stop asking for this fight it will never be made these two will never <laughs> fight each other they're too close it would it's not going to happen give it up and then of course it did and we're all better for it i mean course, what a that, matchup yes it's, it's an insane it's, fight
2: it's awesome it's yes. it's gonna be so thrilling it, and it is like it's not just oh two great strikers you can see the shape of this fight yeah it's like you have a blazing fast starter versus mm-hmm. master counter puncher who comes yep. on strong in the end like this is the, the the shift of momentum that makes really great fights is baked in. Yeah, it feels bound to happen. There will be turning points and action and.
1: It awesome. is as as uh you know, MMA Twitter stalwart and all around decent person. It seems I don't know him, so I'm just saying that. Caposa. Uh, oh yes, I would, agree. Would say, it is a it, it is our violence weight. Title fight. Absolutely,
2: like, I was ready. By the way, I was braced to hear you say like "fill the MMA dude." <laughs> I had my fists clenched. So
1: I was ready to fight, but Caposa, not good guy for sure. Yeah, Caposa's <laughs> good. He, he's good people. No, I'm I'm not I'm not wild out here in these streets. <laughs> I'm okay. going with the known quantities. Um, th- I will say though, there is a major moment's pause just because they are friends Mm -hmm. and they have trained together and you never know how that fight is going to look. That's true. You know, there is... Because people who train together, especially people who sparred together, and it's been years since they sparred together, so it's not like something that has been happening all the time. It's been four or five years. Nonetheless they tend to set a dynamic in sparring. Mm -hmm. And you often, when you see friends fight each other, you see that dynamic play out in the ring. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it breaks and sometimes it's a surprise and sometimes it doesn't break. And sometimes you see a fighter put on one of the worst performances of his career, Mm -hmm. getting beat up by his best friend, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like, um, you had, like, uh, oh, Kama Worthy fighting Devontae yeah. Smith. And Devontae Smith is, you know, he's he's much more durable and maybe more, well, just for durability, he's in the UFC longer. He's going to be in the UFC longer. Kama Worthy's already gone, unfortunately, as much as I like watching him fight. Mm-hmm. But they go out and fight, and Kama Worthy just is treating Devontae Smith like he's his big brother. Yep. It's just like, oh, I know how to fight you. I beat you 15 times already. Yep. And so I do wonder about that just a little bit here. Of course, the flip side of that is you have something like uh, Kamara Usman versus Gilbert Burns. And Gilbert Burns comes out, and you can see the exact dynamic that they had in training. Mm is right there. Gilbert Mm -hmm. Burns is just blasting Kamara Usman does not give a damn about him
2: or he does, um, and that's why he has to blast him so hard. because yeah. he, know, he knows what happens every time they spar after he nails Kamaru earlier.
1: No, I think it was just purely Gilbert Burns is super used to owning Kamaru Usman in the gym. And then Usman has been working with Trevor Whitman and he comes out and he switches things up. He switches his stance. He's got his jab working and suddenly this is like a problem Gilbert Burns has never encountered before.
2: I Now I have um, – I think I might have heard this from Phil. So just immediately dis- dis- disregard it. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I, I have heard it said that uh, the whole fight was kind of reminiscent of their gym encounters.
1: Okay, because so I, I know what happens least,
2: is – yeah, go on.
1: What Usman said was that like it the start was more like their gym
2: encounters was yeah i I, I definitely believe that that looked like gilbert was brimming with confidence uh or or at least the thing with these matchups is sometimes there's just an invisible hand and the people are just playing a part that's like yeah the weight of experience if you've ever played like if you ever sat in a dorm room and played the same fighting game or whatever with the same friend yeah for an entire school year you have patterns and a certain one of you tends to win uh, under certain circumstances every time. And at a, at a certain point, you, you get stuck in that pattern, even when you're trying to adapt to it. Yeah. It's, it's like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it is like, a uh, an outside force where just you, your expectations have been tuned mm-hmm. by what happens. So you're like, oh, this is normal. This is what's supposed to be happening. I might hate it. Yeah, uh, it's like a. It could be like a trauma response sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, you you just start doing things automatically that have never worked, but they they've kept you safe when it happens in the gym or in practice.
1: So all that said, we we don't know we have what no is, what is going to come out of this fight. I would partially sort of expect that maybe Fiziev has the upper hand in training. Had the upper hand in training just because the quotes from Brad Riddle in that recent interview where him in part dismissing all of their past sparring sessions yeah and being like oh no too much time has passed and things change all the time so yeah uh that kind of suggests to me somebody who's like no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna focus on the fact that he used to beat me up all the time of course not right on the other hand i would say there's an advantage for brad
2: riddell yeah. Uh, between the two of them, if I if I was going to say who, who which of these guys will make better use of having had a read on this person's yeah. tendencies, it would
1: be Brad Riddell because he is the adapter of the two. Yeah. Of them. That said, I'm picking Fiziev. Mm-hmm. Um. I think as a fighter who starts fast. Yeah. And who start who tends to have a very set idea of the control he wants to keep of a fight Mm -hmm. it just feels really well tuned to taking advantage of how slowly and poorly Riddell tends to start and Mm -hmm. how cold he tends to start and Riddell does adapt but and he does come on strong late in ways that Fiziev, you know, he faded in that Bobby Green fight and that could spell serious trouble against... And against Giacase. and Yeah, and against Giacase. But I also... Like, some of the decisions that Riddell makes on his path to adapting, I'm not in love with. Like, Riddell's wrestling game... Mm-hmm. It kind of puts him in a lot of danger. And... You know, being able to out wrestle Drew Dober for stretches is. Well, it saved his ass, too. I mean, it saved his ass. It did. But it also, like, got him sprawled out eating shots for a while, too. And it's a, sort of Drew Dober's sometimes automatic. You know, like, Drew Dober's not a good counter wrestler at all. He should be. He looks like he should be, <laughs> but he's not. Fizyev seemed, is, seemed, feels to me like a much more controlled fighter than Drew Dober has ever been. a much more consistent, yeah and uh, steady fighter. you know the the, the, the problem for Fiziev may be in his gas tank and in sort of keeping this single note that fighters can if, if he can' if he hasn't put somebody in a way along the along that control. Mm-hmm. Then his opponent just gets time to build and they mm-hmm. get time to figure out something and figure out ways to push through. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like there's going to be major mistakes made like somebody, you know, like a Magomed Mustafaev or Alex De Silva or Drew Dober might make mm-hmm. along the path where Riddell just trying things and trying to adapt and figure out where those opportunities are going to net him the same gains. Yeah. And so I, I'm going to pick Fiziev to win the first two rounds <clears throat> and maybe yeah, I, stop him inside those, but at least do enough that if Riddell can't knock him out in the third, right. He, he's not going to win the fight.
2: Yeah. I, I think it could go two ways. Like the thing with Fiziev. Here's an interesting thing that uh, we we noticed just discussing this fight earlier this week. Um, these are like the two best strikers in the sport who don't jab, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: which true. is weird,
2: right? Like, yeah. Looking at Rob Fon and Jose Aldo, we have these two fantastic striking battles. And on that one score, these two fights could not be more different. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are jab maestros in the main mm-hmm. event. And these guys just like almost never use it. Yeah. Um. And I think it's because both of them are counter punchers, but of two very different way, uh, molds. Yeah. Brad Riddell will, he is a patient, he's a true counter puncher. Yeah. Uh, he, he will let you take the lead. He will let you dictate knowing that all the while you're giving him him information, uh, that he can use later. And Fiziev is a pressure fighter who uses counter punching to get inside and, and get work done. Yeah. Um, so he will just walk you down with footwork and get in your face and wait and make you throw and then slip that and come back with a combination and fire a kick. Um, I, and and Fizia, the other difference I see between the two of these guys is that uh, um, which kind of is in line with that distinction. is that Brad Riddell is a very, very organic fighter who sort of figures out what he's going to do every time. Mm-hmm. Um, each individual fight is a different experience where he has to determine which moves and, and which particular permutations of those moves are going to work against this fighter. Um, and so you've seen a very different Brad Riddell in a lot of his, like, the guy always has an amazing third round. Yeah. But they've been very different Brad Riddells. Sure. Um, you know, he was super aggressive and throwing long combinations against uh, Alex Da Silva. He mm-hmm. was much more just letting Drew Dober throw himself into the void and then taking his head off uh, as he stumbled into range. Much more counterpunchery. Um, you know, he's a really adaptable fighter. Fiziev is like a – it's just like a, a, an encyclopedia of various patterns. Yeah. Which is why I think he's such a fast starter because he doesn't – Yep you know you don't he doesn't have to think it does the, does the right hand come after the left hook this time no it it does it's one of the three moves that comes after the left hook and you put it mm-hmm. there automatically and then you do the next punch and then you finish with a kick yeah um those moves come at the end of two slips one side then that side you're elusive you fire your shots you get back out rinse and repeat um and if things don't go your way stack different patterns together yep and the one way that could go is that it's, he's just like a way faster and more consistent fast starter than any of the guys Brad Riddell has managed to come back and beat.
1: Mm-hmm, which is and, kind of my feeling.
2: Yes. The other thing is that um, Fiziev will just pour out information for Brad Riddell to make really, really critical adjustments to. Sure. Um, We'll just be giving him data basically the entire time Without being able to stop himself, which I think is the is the real problem, Fiziev will ultimately run into is that he can't like turn it off.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, you you can already you already got we already got a, We've gotten glimpses of that, of course, in the third rounds. He's given up to other fighters who've come yes. back, but we also got just you know the basic idea of that in that instant loss to Magomed Mustafaev. Yeah, whereas it's just, there's just this fact that like Fiziev was right there. Walking in on him, and you know, starting fast and firing away from the beginning. And Mustafaev was like, "Okay, well, I'll just try this, since your head's going to be right there." And yeah,
2: worked. Mustafaev is like an insane athlete who yeah. can make reads really quickly in a way that, yeah. like, you know, not as with as much depth or skill as Brad Riddell, but yeah. he'll make those reads right away. And Fazev gave him reads, and yep. he he just took him out. True. Um. But it's going to be a really strong start, I think, for Fiziev.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I keep seeing, and that's why I'm picking him. Is that I just think it's such a strong start, and then, like I say, not every read Riddell makes leaves me super impressed. You know, there's a lot of sketchiness in the middle of a Brad Riddell fight. Yes, where he's trying to make a good read, and he's also just getting like absolutely shellacked by the, the reaction to it yeah and then it's like oh well okay that didn't work i'll go try something else now and so that you know that kind of thing is why i'm i'm picking fizziev
2: yeah But and i and i agree for that reason i yeah. think i think if this is such a this is such an example of man if this were a five-round fight i'd pick brad riddell mm. yeah I, I like, that cause I'm, I'm so confident of the idea that while Brad Riddell might have a worse second round than any of his other fights, he's going to make some big things happen in round three. If yeah. He's still around. If he doesn't get finished, uh, he's going to land some super clean shots and hurt Fiziev in round three. But I just think it's going to take too long cause Fiziev puts too much out there. He, he builds his combinations. He's a way better. This is the big thing too way better defensive fighter than the likes of Alex da Silva, uh, Andrew Dober. Yeah. Like it may be rote defense, but he is on his defense. Mm-hmm. keeps his hands up. He blocks punches actively. He moves his head and he fires off that defense. Um, and I just think that's going to be a much more complicated puzzle to solve so that, uh, R- Riddell just won't have enough time to solve it emphatically enough to win the decision. So yep. I'm, I'm with you. I'm picking Fiziev. It's an amazing fight. It is. Can't wait. Love it.
1: All right. Odds on the fight. Riddell is a very slight underdog. Open at minus 130, but it's climbed steadily up to plus 100. Fiziev opened at plus 110. has dropped steadily to minus 122. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Clay Guida, Leonardo Santos. Weird,
2: uh, like, step-down redux of Leonardo Santos's last fight. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. His first loss is just some just like annoying, suffocating wrestler. You're like, I, what about an old one though? <laughs> um, you know, I think he can beat an old one. I didn't think so. Santos looked way slower uh, against Grant Dawson and he got tired, which could definitely yeah. be a problem. But uh up to a point, he was really handling Grant Dawson with ease. Mm hmm he's still a tremendous fighter. Like he, he's just a great thinker and adjuster. He's really technical and super well-rounded. He fights like an extremely experienced fighter, which is what he is. Um, he just makes good decisions and, uh, and is in fact a great defensive wrestler. So, uh, and Clay Guida is Clay Guida. He's super hittable. You can jab him up. um, so I'm going to pick Leonardo Santos. I know he it was it's it's tough to see a man fall off like that, but I'm not ready to believe he's dead yet.
1: Yeah, I mean this is this is a fight that it does absolutely just feel it feels like it ought to be the kind of fight that Leonardo Santos has won over and over again. Yeah, and it's just all about the fact that late career Clay Guida is still an incredibly functional fighter. Mm-hmm. Like people mocked us openly when we picked Clay Guida to beat Mark Madsen. Did they? And I? he came really <laughs> close. Oh yeah, in the comment section on Twitter, on YouTube. You know, not. Yeah. Not a place you you want to spend any time. But <laughs> the Swedes have found the comments. Yeah, nonetheless. I isn't he Danish? I think he's Danish. Whatever. whatever. They're whatever. All the same. <laughs> <laughs> One of those northern socialists. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, you're only um, cool to me if you're Finnish. The rest <laughs> of you are all the same. Um But people were just like, there's no way. Marco Madsen, way better wrestler. What's we gonna do? And he almost outboxed him.
2: Yeah. You know? In fact, he largely won the wrestling. It was the fact yeah. that Marco Madsen had worked on his boxing.
1: Yeah. And like just, just jabbed him it. up. Yep. It was the jab that Clay Guida could not solve. But hey, the jab. Yeah. Santos but, has a good uh, one. Santos has a good one. Santos has built such a style of just like, I am going to make fighting me at range so awful. Yeah. you have to shoot the most ugly, obvious shot imaginable, and then I'll submit you. Yeah, and that should work against Clay Guida. Right, it really sure. should. Yeah, it it worked. It, it's exactly what Ch- Charles Oliveira did to Clay Guida. Yep, it is. Um, it's even what Jim Miller did to Clay Guida. You know, mm-hmm. like. It is just a way to – it's a, what Tiago Tavares did to Clay Guida. It is yeah. a way to beat Clay Guida. <laughs> so.
2: Now, I will say, no guillotine wins on Santos' record. That's not really his move, and that no. is the move that usually results in that that loss for Clay Guida. True. But, but that being said, Santos is really, really great at stuffing shots and getting to your back. I don't yeah. think – uh, and he's, and he's be-
1: also an incredibly high level black. But I can't imagine that he just doesn't know yeah. how to do a guillotine.
2: No, no. If it's there, he'll take it. It's just yeah. not his preference. He's more of a stuff you and then start working around your position kind of grappler. Yeah. He doesn't He doesn't want to give up his back because, like True. I said, he's a veteran who makes yeah. spectacularly good decisions in
1: the cage. Yep. So, but it, if, if he does not submit Clay Guida in the first round and starts getting roughed up, Yeah, this will be a much different fight because it's not just the Grant Dawson fight. It's the Roman Bogotov fight, too. Right. That Leonardo Santos, his cardio broke hard in both of those fights. Yeah. And if that starts happening, then he becomes a guy who has to get the instant finish or he's going to lose.
2: Sure. I mean, he could win a round, too. You know, yeah. just landing the cleaner shots or or getting a, yeah. a, a good position on the ground. But round three is going to be rough. Yeah. For sure.
1: All right. Uh, odds on the fight. Santos is the favorite, opened at minus 260, jumped up to minus 174, but is back down at minus 188. Clay Guida opened at plus 220, dropped down to plus 141, currently up at plus 155. That brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Jimmy Crute, Jamal Hill. And uh, This This is a kind of a hard fight to figure out Because mm-hmm. they're both Sort of Like we, we have seen Big singular flaws Out of both fighters who otherwise look like Pretty good prospects But the path To getting to those flaws is not Consistent You know mm-hmm. Like the way Paul Craig wrapped up Jamal Hill on the ground is not something that every other fighter is going to do. Paul Craig is a fantastic grappler. And, uh, you know, we've seen Jimmy Crute roll with and beat Paul Craig. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, we you know, we've also seen him roll with and then get subbed by Misha Serkinov. Jimmy Crute is... He's he's just a ball of energy. He's he's the new Nikita Krylov. <laughs> yeah.
2: He's he's, he's potent, he's, he's dangerous and he is just as likely to put himself in a terrible position.
1: Exactly. It's not like Paul Craig. He puts himself in terrible positions by design because he knows he can work through them to win. Yeah. Jimmy Krute puts himself in terrible positions just because that's where he ended up in <laughs> going for yeah. Whatever thing he thought he could do and he trusts that he might be able to fight his way out if he pushes hard enough.
2: Yeah. Jimmy Crude is like he's like um he's like the the coyote that like might still beat the roadrunner. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like he is definitely running into the fake tunnel and he Mm -hmm. is falling off the cliff and he's on the end of the tree branch that gets sawn off and he falls 7,000 feet to what should be a certain death but he might still win because he's really really eager and aggressive and wired and ready
1: to make some violets happen and you know like that fight with Anthony Smith was such a weird fight because he was eating really hard shots from Anthony Smith but also going kick for kick with him and his leg get gets totally the nerve just gets totally deadened from the knee down and he still out wrestled Anthony Smith and beat him up for the rest of that round yeah and so there really is just like he he will run himself into peril and you never really know what's going to come out of it whereas for Hill he's tr- he's working to be a very controlled fighter yeah. And I think he kind of thinks that he's further along that path than he is. Like <coughs> the absolute confidence that he went into Paul Craig's guard with, yeah, was just like, this is a miserable idea. How do and you do not know? You could know take
2: a good thing was- away from that. You know, the guy, unearned confidence is a great, is a really kind of a prerequisite of becoming oh, yeah. a really good fighter.
1: Yeah, it is. But
2: but it, not, it's he's also, not there yet.
1: Yeah, and I mean it. It is one of the key things to becoming a great fighter is having lots of unearned confidence. Yeah. But it also, you know, that path is littered with the remains (laughs) of all the fighters that had all the unearned confidence and did not have the skill. Yeah. It is just as... It it is... It is a key ingredient to becoming great, but it is also... Not it is the, the whole thing story. that destroys you, it yes, yeah, is it's is the, the thing that will also destroy you, the fighter's curse. And it's hard to tell where you know, like, he'll his fight, his performance against Oven St. Pru was great. It's one of the things that I've really been waiting for from him, which was to see him show any level of consistent measure mm-hmm. where he could just deliver the same things over and over, keeping range and just. Outworking Saint Prue, outpunching him, and not falling into any of the traps that Owen St. Prue would set where he expects you to get over eager and rush in and just get clubbed by a left hand. But then against Paul Craig, we saw him dive in and just get wrapped up and submitted. So I'm a little bit I split. think he dove into the submission twice. Yeah. Which is these days, whenever you see a guard submission in in the UFC, yeah. it is almost always because a fighter escapes the exact submission and just doesn't and then dives damage. right back into it. Yep. Yep. They get overconfident. They're like, "Oh, I can beat this. I just did." Yep. And then, you know, um, I'm gonna pick Crute here, mm-hmm. mostly because I think that his juggernaut just sort of go after you attitude can break through. What I still see is a somewhat weak technical game for Hill. Like the confidence that Hill has and that works for Hill is still a lot built behind his athleticism, his Mm -hmm. speed and his power. And, you know, you look at the actual punches that he's throwing when he's fighting OSP or when he's fighting uh, Paul Craig, like he has a really ugly load up on his oh, back. Yeah. It is not a pretty structured technical punch. It is very much the product of somebody who's leaning on their athletic gifts mm-hmm. to deliver what their body, what what he wants to do. And I think that that's something. Like I think Crute. Can he can create the mess out of that that he needs to win. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take him here. But, you know, it could also be him throwing himself face first into somebody who's fast enough and powerful enough to just hurt him. So there's always a chance with Jimmy Crude if he... Like him throwing himself at Anthony Smith, he ran himself face first into a bunch of hard jabs. A couple of which nearly knocked him on his ass. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, I have
2: basically the exact same read. Um, I don't even have a lot to add. I just think uh, Hill is going to look impressive when he can bully you. Yep. And like I said, you can bully Jimmy crew to an extent, but he is not going to just accept it. No. He's insane. And he's going to turn bright red and make exchanges happen or go for a takedown like uh, he jimmy crude is like as like you said he's just like a bundle of energy that can't turn off Mm -hmm. um he he will dive face first into a trap just like hill will but he will not shut down the way Hill needs someone to to win and he can set traps too yeah uh he's i think at at both at once like crazier and craftier than hill
1: he's also a smoother puncher and a smoother He's just a smoother fighter,
2: yeah, he's a more polished fighter in every face he's just yeah. – it's it's just the tension yeah in Jimmy croot that makes bad things happen uh, uh but um yeah he hill is hill even when he's completely having his way, leaves way too many openings
1: yep and that's, uh that's what i've my feeling, but I mean he's like I say He's he is fast enough and powerful enough that if he can get his technical game to click, if he can get the reps and if he can get the form, sure. Then being patient and being powerful and being fast, like it's he the recipe is there. No doubt. But it definitely like light heavyweight is gonna test. It, it it is going to test people over and over. It is not a it is not a kind division no. to anyone. No. And yeah.
2: your lessons tend to come in the form of a brutal finish at heavyweight. Yeah.
1: Like for as for as much as the division may not have a bunch of great technicians and allows people to hang around for a lot for a long time, it also tends to prevent clean records and like oh yeah. Just easy. Paths to constant consistent victory because everybody hits so hard, everybody's a great athlete, mm-hmm. everybody can punish mistakes. Um. All right, odds on that fight. Hill is opened at plus one eighty five, dropped to plus one thirty four, but is currently at plus one forty six. Kroot opened at minus 220, jumped up to minus 165, got down as low as minus 191, but is back up to minus 176. So odds every time that that fight starts to get too wide, closing in again feels, and, you know, it shouldn't be wide because neither of these guys... um, Hill is better at controlling a fight than Kroot, but Kroot is also just a more... Harder to control. <laughs> yeah, he's also harder to control, and he he's better at delivering punishing offense in every phase. Mm-hmm. So yep, I'd even say Croot by submission sounds pretty. Yeah, it, could, it it could easily be be his path to victory. Some weird uh, submission like a knee bar or something yeah. for
2: Jimmy That sounds about right.
1: All right, that brings us to a middleweight fight: Brendan Allen, Chris Curtis and um yeah take it away this is an odd fight it um, is um
2: it's not a bad one i mean uh chris curtis first of all he's back very quickly after beating yep. phil halls um and i'm guessing based on some of the things he was saying around that, is because the man was broke before that
1: yeah uh, he is so he's broke and you look at chris curtis's career he's a dude that i mean at this point in chris curtis's career he he is the fighter he is going to be. He has been this dude yeah. for years now. And if he's in sh- if he's hanging out and staying in shape, then he just might as well go out and fight as much yeah. as he can.
2: Yeah, and, and Curtis also, I think by being like a really a counterpuncher by trade, um is used to figuring out even the guys he has a full cam to prepare for. Yeah. the guys that he's had months to know he he's going to fight them. Um, it's still a process of getting in there and seeing what they feel like and finding the shot that works. Yep. Um, it's just, it is a bummer that a guy like Chris Curtis could be broke because he has had a really very successful career yeah. and, uh, and been a like finished product and quality, uh, regional fighter for, for a long time now. He's had like, he's got like 35 fights or something. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it's it's just failing at the very moment that he could not afford to. Yep, consistently. Well,
2: whereas, even that. I mean, he'd uh, be. Uh, why didn't he get picked off the contender series? Yeah, because
1: it's not about being exciting or good. It's, it's apparently about, not about anything. Well, it's about filling quotas um, as fast as they can. And he so a, you know, got a with,
2: meme hook kick KO. How does yeah. that not get you signed?
1: I it you know it's the the like you you look at the recent series of contender series and the, they will sign like the first 40 or 50 people that win on that show no matter how they win all get contracts and then the last like 10 people no matter how experienced they are no matter how good they cool they win no matter how the, big they standards
2: go are very very high
1: yeah yeah. it's because they just have a bunch of spots that they want to fill up and yep so it wasn't know.
2: even it, i don't think it had anything to do with Chris Curtis to be honest i he, no. he i really did great in his uh, opportunity there and just uh wasn't the right time yep um i don't really know how he matches up with Brandon Allen like Allen on the one hand seems to pose a lot of problems for for Curtis mm-hmm. he first of all uh in his new life as a um, a thrillingly messy middleweight kickboxer he's, uh, he's a huge kicker and that has always been a thing that Curtis has struggled with he stands like he's on the skateboard Chris Curtis he is like completely side on to his opponents uh, like when you watch somebody moving away from his left hand uh, and he's trying to cut off the cage, which he does pretty well unconsciously. You know, he's mm-hmm. but he, it, he gets into this really funny little hop because he is almost walking backwards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. So people have been able to low kick him like at will. Uh, Brendan Allen, it was the body kick that he landed a ton of in his last fight against uh, punahele Soriano. Mm-hmm. But uh, Brendan Allen's a southpaw, right? I believe I'm pretty so. sure it was a big left kick. He's a southpaw. I'm sure. I'm yeah. So they're both southpaws. So he's going to yeah. have the low kick more readily than most Chris Curtis opponents do. Yeah. Um, he doesn't actually have a reach advantage on paper, but I believe in practice he will.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Curtis, Curtis, Curtis is, is pretty all, short.
2: He's all shoulders and he's shorter. Yeah. So I think that they have exactly the same wingspan according to, to topology, but – Pretty sure Allen's got the longer arms. Um, and is punching from a height, uh, which will give him, you know, his shoulder will be more in line with Curtis's chin. That is a reach advantage, uh, in, in effect. And then there's the grappling. So Alan has this crazy pace, all the kicks, and he can press into an area of the game where um, you know, Chris Curtis is a competent wrestler. It's not where he'd like to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think has he ever even been submitted. He hasn't. Curtis, no. Yeah, never been submitted. Only finished once Although,
1: he's Early, he's got a couple early losses in uh on Tapology that just say loss because they're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as well, Fight Finder is better on that kind of thing.
2: One of them to Tom Galicchio, which was either a decision or a submission. I'll bet.
1: I'll check over sh- on on Sherdog's Fight Finder here.
2: So you know, and I think that the problem is, is that um, Curtis can be singularly effective. He is a crafty counterpuncher, but kind of an awkward one, and struggles to build if he can't get that one shot that gets it done.
1: Alan, was a, a submission loss. There you, a there you go. There uh, you go.
2: And otherwise, Allen just is super super active. hmm Um. So I think I'm going to pick him. Yeah. Maybe maybe I don't know. I mean, Curtis is a fighter who gets better as the fight goes on. I think uh, Allen's chin will be tested later, but he's going to just feel like the busier, more uh, controlling striker. I think through long stretches of this uh, fight early on.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's this is one of those things where I think for Curtis, like he got a fantastic entry win into the UFC Mm -hmm. and I'm really happy for him. And it really paid off. Um, I'm especially happy because I picked him, but it, this is probably going to be the return to reality that having a super low output, um, counter punching style that always lets opponents take the lead while being a small middleweight. Yeah. is just going to be a really hard, hill for curtis to climb consistently at this level mm-hmm. and and the fact that phil hall
2: is like if there's somebody to land a one shot after dropping most of the fight up to that point and finish it yeah that has been phil halls has been asking for that to happen for some time now
1: yeah i mean that's why i picked him to beat phil haas was just like yeah if phil haas is, is going to leave opportunities to get hurt somebody who's composed and consistent is chris curtis yeah is really going to be able to find that chance to hurt him.
2: Whereas if you want to, if you want to knock out Brandon Allen, uh, attrition seems to be the order yeah. of the day.
1: It's an attrition thing. And
2: Soriano, you know, huge puncher, couldn't knock him out. Sean Strickland did. Yeah. Sometimes.
1: And yeah, otherwise a lot of, you know, when Chris Curtis has had to face well, well-rounded good fighters, even the ones that he's, You know, he's lost to some of those like guys like Forrest Petz, Bilal Muhammad, Nishan Burrell. Mm -hmm. And when he's beaten a lot of them, you're Matt Dwyer's and Kyle Stewart's and, uh, you know, Kenny Robertson's and fighters like that. They've been very hard fights. They've been fights that he's had to really struggle through. Mm -hmm. He's just not an easy fighter to win rounds. And the way Alan fights, you know, especially to him being at Sanford, I really like for him Mm -hmm. because he's a very confident, very aggressive fighter naturally. Yeah. So for him to just be, you know, I think what we're seeing, you know, out of fights like his win over Soriano is we're starting to see the fruition of all this time that he's getting working on a very nuts and bolts, steadfast kickboxing game. Absolutely. Which is all he needs. Yeah. He's a pace fighter
2: uh, who does not hesitate to let it go when he's in range. So just give him good, clean, reliable tools and he will go out there and use them a lot.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I just think that this is a a good fight for Alan to run out in front of, and it's going to be a tough fight for Curtis to come back and make you know, make a knockout happen with one big moment. Especially yep. if uh, Alan can even just consistently back Curtis to the cage and clinch him up. Curtis's size sure. is going to become a real problem for him. Yep, 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 yep. And just, you know, swamp this fight, make it ugly, keep Curtis from ever being able to really find those moment momentary reads and momentum. And I will add, just because I know somebody's going to get mad at me for it, I do realize that Chris Curtis fought in week one of his season of contender series, but it was also 2018 contender series before. Well, I was going to say before they were hiring just anybody, but they, they literally signed every other fighter on that episode. What the hell? Hardy, Jackson (laughs) and Holland. So. What the hell? He, he, it just has to be a personal, personal grudge or something. I don't know. Hmm.
2: I'm formulating anyway. accusations of things in my mind right now, but I, I, I'll – Yeah. I'm,
1: leave it. Leave it. All right. Let's get to – Leaving it unsaid. <laughs> leave it unsaid. Odds on the fight. Alan is a big favorite. Opened at minus 300, dropped to minus 340, currently minus 356. Chris Curtis opened at plus 250. is currently plus 275. So odds have opened wide and stayed fairly wide, and I get it. Uh, I think I think middleweight matchups are going to be a lot harder for Chris Curtis in general. You know, you even put him in against guys like uh, Mark Andre Barrio, or um, you know, any uh, any other fighters in that division who are just generally durable mm-hmm. and not small, and Chris Curtis is going to start to struggle.
2: I say, do Chris Curtis Julian Marquez you know what? It'd be a hell of a lot of fun. That would be awesome. Come on. You yep. got this other little short armed weird gorilla freak. Who's just going to go in there and
1: trade with you. Do it. Yeah. All right. That brings us to our final fight of the main card. Brenda, Brian Barberena, Darian weeks. And this is a fight that I walked into it thinking, okay, Brian Barberena against some new guy on short notice. This should be an absolutely winnable, like very clear win for Brian Barbarina. He mm-hmm. is the old veteran. He is a hard-nosed pace fighter who picks up momentum against a newcomer who, you know, a lot of newcomers struggle to find a uh, footing and to, you know, to to maintain their composure over rounds. And then I watched Brian Barbarina's last fight. Yeah. Again, And there is a struggle going on. Prime Barbarena may be hitting a wall.
2: I think he's on the downslope, frankly. I think he's probably been on the downslope since that fight with Luque. I think that was like he sat the last of Prime Barbarena in that fight.
1: That really looked like you go back and watch that, and that looks like the absolute high point technically of his career Mm -hmm. where he is firing and it is perfect and Luke is just better and yep. it just sucks it's just like if you're a Brian Barrena fan that is that is the as unfortunate as it gets because mm-hmm. you're like oh wow he has done he has put in the work his form his technique is on fire he is clicking he is doing all the right things and he's just not good enough mhm and then you get to a fight with Jason Witt and like Witt goes out there and takes him down. Brian Barbarina is still a fighter. He's still gritty. He's still hard nosed. He can still come back. He can get fight his way back to his feet. And you're he like, OK, well,
2: several times.
1: Yeah. And you're like, OK, well, this is the point for Brian Barbarina to start putting it on. With, and then he just keeps getting dropped. Yep. And he gets dropped in like several times in the first couple rounds. And at the end of it all, he came back and he, he started to like, you know, put it together and make a more Brian Barbarina type showing in the third round, but getting dropped multiple times by Jason Witt. Yeah. Is just like. And I'm willing to believe that Jason Witt is a
2: harder punt is a hard puncher. uh, Sure. Who just has had, and still to, to a great degree has awful form. Yeah. Um, but you know, you you go three rounds before Luke can drop you once. Yeah. And then Jason Wood is just cracking your chin at every opportunity. It is troubling. And and also there's yeah. the fact that it it even beyond that, Barbarana did just seem slower for a guy who was yep. already already very
1: slow. Yeah.
2: He seemed very slow to react to everything. I think he truly just didn't see a lot of those shots coming in time. To brace for them, and and that's why he he just kept getting stunned. Yep, and that's a bad so look
1: too. You look at Darian Weeks, and suddenly you're looking at like a big, powerful, young welterweight who has some good, solid one twos kind of form. You know, it's a good basic raw fighter with good power consistent delivery um and it starts to look like a lot more of a challenge than it it would have a -hmm. while ago i think i'm still gonna uh, man i don't know i'm still gonna pick barbara i i'm I'm still gonna pick barbara because when he has to throw multiple fight or multiple strikes weeks form breaks down. Yeah. And when, and and he does not put many people away early, even when he can hurt people, he doesn't, when he has to, when he starts jumping on people, his form also breaks down. He doesn't have a consistent, you know, it, it, for as powerful and as, uh, good as he looks delivering like a one or a one, two, he just doesn't have the depth past that. And he's, he talks about himself as being a wrestler, but he's not very interested in being controlling fighter at any point Mm -hmm. either. So it really is just a very raw game Mm -hmm. that Brian, Brian should be able to fight through and make messy, and got out a, a win over three rounds. Mm-hmm. But man, I'm less sure of that than ever.
2: It's not even like Weeks is going in there and just instantly KOing people he fights all the time either. Like he's got plenty no. of finishes, relatively meaningless ones so far. Yeah. But yeah, I got to pick Barbarina. I I, I totally co the feeling that that was a, a severely diminished performance from him last time. And that yeah. we have been seeing him trending downward for a little while. He still almost won it, yeah. Um, against a fighter with a, with well, while admittedly raw in his own way, more much more meaningful experience and way more tools in his kit, yeah, than Darren Weeks has. So yeah, I you
1: know. just won't be at all surprised if this is another one of those fights where a raw young fighter comes in and we're like, ah, yeah, unless he does something early. He's yeah. not going to win this one. And he just goes out there and sleeps Barbarina in 30 yeah. seconds. And we're like, okay, well. Yeah,
2: time could be right for that. And even if I think even there's even a, even if Barbarina wins, he's probably going to show some troubling signs. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah,
1: I'm not. Uh, I, 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 like I said, I, in general, I am just not. What I saw out of Brian Barbarina in his last fight does not make me happy at all. No, not at all. So a big opportunity for weeks, but it's also just a prove it moment for him where like, yep. his fight against Craig Fairley was just an ugly, like, it, Fairley was a way overmatched opponent who got a lot done against Weeks before getting finished, mm-hmm. simply because Weeks was way more powerful, way more technical, and way better everywhere. But there was still moments where, like, they would clinch up and suddenly Fairley would be in control and, like, on Weeks back, and, like, how did you even get here? yeah. You know, it was just purely through sloppy lack of consistent delivery. So, all right. Odds on the fight. Barbarian. it's also short notice, which, you know, mm-hmm. is harder for going to be harder for weeks. But it could also be less prep for Barbarina where he just comes in and feels like, oh, no, I got this. This is a short notice kid who can't hang with me and walks forward and does a Brian or does a uh, Alex Morono versus Chaos Williams, you know. All right, barbarian opened at minus 175 dropped to minus 195 currently minus 193 weeks opened at plus 150 jumped up to plus 170 is currently plus 157. i'm honestly i don't hate the matchmaking it's it's a it, i it is probably the kind of fight that Barbarina should be in right now you know and that's that kind of stuff
2: maybe against like just someone who can't punch <laughs> yeah yeah because because the other thing is maybe barbarina just needs a little time off he had n- yeah. not much time off at all between the luke and randy brown fights both of which finished him and now yep. he hasn't had much time off at all since that last one
1: yeah well you know but that just speaks to the kind of fighter brian Barbarino wants to be Sure. At the point that he wants to at the point that he is willing to take a lot of time off, that might just be the end of his career.
2: Well, there have been other times where just circumstances have caused him to take a year off between fights or something. And, you know, who knows how, how much difference that might make in his confidence and durability if he just Yeah cools it for a minute. But yeah, you gotta pick him.
1: All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at These TheZaneSimon. You can find Connor on Twitter at BoxingBush. You can find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts on Bloody Elbow Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And uh, we'll be back next week for UFC 269,
0: Olivera versus Poirier. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content... Hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is also titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on Apple TV, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, the best of the Come On Now MMA podcast. Brooklyn's Corner, the MMA Vivisection, the Level Change Podcast, Show Money, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, and Radio Style Play-by-Play for every UFC Pay Per View. You can also follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow and on Facebook at facebookcom blog and of course on bloodyelbow.com.